Amen. Good morning. You guys can have a seat. Uh, we're going to be right in that passage. And so if you turn there already, great. If you're borrowing a Bible, I can give you the cheater way. It's page 554. An easy uh, way to get there. I want you to think of yourself this morning and, in a sense, categorize yourself. And I know culture today, modern society, especially political culture, has a way of identifying us, uh, intersectionalism on the rise, things like that. But I, not in that sense. I just want you to kind of, if you will, uh, pigeonhole yourself into some categories, uh, maybe based on your age, uh, which clearly Pastor Paul feels is older and whiter. And uh, <laughs> as he said, you have no rhythm, which is way worse than what I said last week, just for the record. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. Anyhow, so uh, if you're in your 20s or your teens or your 70s or your 80s or if you are newly married or if you have newborn children or teenagers, I want you to think of yourself in the categories that apply to your life. Some might be chronological, there's truth to that. Some might be situational. There's a lot of truth to that. The age of your children, maybe being a grandparent, right? I noticed that Allie had a little favoritism and James was the last picture, right? And so I saw that, right? But um, depending upon where you are, that's the season of life you're in. It's a collection of things. You might be on the front end of beginning a career, you might be on the back end of wrapping one up. All those affect the season of life that you're in. I'm going to put this on the screen, kind of a main idea for you today. God speaks to how wisdom guides our lives. And he gives us, and this is important, values, not rules, right? So God speaks to how wisdom guides our life. That's a sense of values, not necessarily rules, that when followed will organize and prioritize the seasons of life for us. God bless you. That wisdom will help us organize and prioritize the seasons of life for us. This is something we don't do well with, at least in America. I, I can't necessarily speak to this globally, uh, but Western culture has upended some of the seasons of life. We've misunderstood what they're for. This will give us a different view. So Ecclesiastes 3, go back to verse 1. I can only make this joke in this service well, I can make it in both, but nobody would understand it in the second service. And so, yes, when you read this, do you hear the song? Yes. Is it the birds? Is that right? Somebody? Okay. Second service will never get that joke. Just throwing that out there. They will never get that <laughs> reference. Google it. I'm just saying. So, all right. Famous songs at 60s, 70s, somewhere in there, right? For every season, there's a time, right? Turn, turn, turn. Yes. So, all right. Verse 1. I'm old enough to know the reference, and yet it is actually older than me. All right, verse 1. That's, it's my story. I have the microphone. I, it's too old for me. You can't refute it without a microphone. So, all right, verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. All right. There's some key language that Solomon uses. If you were not here last week, you may not have heard this. If you were here last week and you were napping during service, you also would not have heard it, all right? So there is this differentiation that Solomon uses about time. And he talks about time under the sun, which is one thing, and time under heaven. Now, both the sun and heaven in our kind of 
con conceptualizing, if you will, are above us. Everything happens under them, right? And yes, I know the sun, or actually the earth goes around the sun. I get that the sun right now is above us. It'll be below us tonight or whatever. I get that. But the concept is everything under the sun, right? That's our earthly life. That's our, and the Bible might say, worldly life or this broken existence, right? The world affected by sin, not that it's, it, it's not necessarily everything bad about it, but it's the broken version of what we live in, right? All of that is life under the sun, everything that happens. And so you get married, that's something that happens under the sun, right? You have children, all that happens under the sun. Now there's a difference when he says, there's a, there, for everything, is this, there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. When he says under heaven, when Solomon, our author, says under heaven, he's referring to living a life of faith here on earth, right? So everything happens under the sun, that's just this existence, right? Broken as it may be, but it has highs and lows, good and bad. But then there is a way to live, and that infers living by faith. So under heaven, is assuming, like he said last week, the preacher, right? He's the preacher. Who's a preacher? A preacher is somebody who speaks to those who are gathered around, probably are believers, but are gathered around their faith, right? Doesn't mean everybody in the room today is a believer, but we're gathered around our faith, either asking more questions about it or growing it or, or you know, maybe even coming to that faith. So Solomon speaks, Solomon speaks as a preacher, giving us wisdom, meaning that inside the gospel, this life under heaven, there are wise ways to live and there are unwise ways to live. And that wise and unwise are built on how God designed us, not just logical conclusions. That doesn't make logical conclusions right or wrong, just saying that God has designed us. And so in that, there's a wise way to life. And now, I want to put this up, seasons is what we're going to talk about today. So today is about how we spend seasons of our life, not minutes. This isn't time management. This is about wise life management. Okay, here's what I mean. This isn't about how you spend your time today, whether you spend X amount of minutes binge watching some Netflix show or you're in church or you're with your family. It's not about how you just spend the minutes of this day. It's going back to remember what category of life do you fit in? Right, what season are you living in right now? Right, you're an 18 year old just graduated from high school, headed off to college, you're in one season of life, right? You're 30 and newly married with two kids, you know, or well, you know, however many years, you get my point, right? Okay, you're in a different season of life than the college student or the retired couple who now has grandchildren and maybe great grandchildren, right? What season are you in and how do you manage that season? the best you can. It's not about today, it's about the season of life that we're in. Verse 2 says there's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. So born and die, plant and pluck up. So there's going to be a lot of parallel language, right? Born and die, plant and pluck up. They're taking the two sets of contradicting terms, if you will, like born and die, plant and pluck up, and they're partnering them together. Solomon is partnering them together to give us more meaning. We understand born and die. We also understand plant and pluck up. That there is a season to life overall. That you will live so long. Or something that you plant will only grow for so long. And then there is a season to pluck it up. 
It's a reminder, and this is Solomon's kind of a, a common theme throughout Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, all his wisdom literature, is there, there is a limit to this life. Now, this is a struggle for us. We're human. We live in this world. We live in this existence that we can see. If we come to faith, we learn about eternity. And as we'll see, God has placed eternity in everyone's heart, but not in a way that you can fully understand it, right? That you, you can't quite grasp, even if I said God is eternal, no beginning, no end. Like, you can assent to that fact, but it's hard to understand, right? Because everything for us has a start and a stop. And to understand a divine being who has no beginning, no creator, has no end. That's hard to wrap our heads around. But he's reminding us that this existence, the one we're living in now, has a, a start and a stop. There's a plant time, there's a pluck up time, there's a born time, there's a die time. Right? And it's to understand that the finite existence that we have, that it will be quickly gone. Ask anybody who's in the room, who is older in your life, who is older... Time seems to go by very quickly. Even in the seasons that seem very slow, you will look back and go, wow, where did the time go? How do we manage those seasons of life that we're in? We can't go backwards. Can't fix how we lived the last season of life. I can never change the fact that I threw away all my 20s, right? I can live my 30s, 40s, and 50s, and then future, I can live them in, in, in wisdom, make up for some things that weren't done, but I can't go back to my 20s, those are forever gone, right? Okay, life is limited. Keep this life in perspective. This is not all there is. In fact, this is short, this is very finite, and we are made to be with God eternally. Verse three, there's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. Kill in this passage is the opposite of heal, which makes sense, right? That it's the opposite of that. Right? But it requires a little bit of clarity. He adds a time to break down and a time to build up. Now, Solomon lived. He was king over Israel. He had been given the Mosaic Covenant, or, the, or even the Davidic Covenant, but he was given the Ten Commandments, and then the expansion of those things right after the Ten Commandments in Exodus, then to Levitical priesthood in Leviticus, and then Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. Deutero second, namas law. The second giving of the law to the people. He had all of this, right? And then as the kingdom grows, God speaks to David, God speaks to Solomon, God kind of tells them how they're to live as a kingdom. And so Solomon would have thought in terms, big picture of cultural things. I'll give you an example from Exodus 21, the expansion on the Ten Commandments. Moses writes this, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. It's a pretty bold, clear statement. Here's the context for that passage. He said, if a man strikes a woman who is pregnant and there's no damage to the baby, he's still to be penalized and he outlines the penalty there. But he says, if he strikes the woman who is pregnant and causes that child to miscarry, causes that death, then it is harm for harm, right? Life for life, calls that child, that unborn child, a life. And says that they will pay life for life. There are different examples in Exodus for what Murder is versus manslaughter. A lot of the things that we kind of derive in our, in our penal system today from you go intentionally kill somebody, that's murder. If you're in a struggle of some sort and somebody dies, but that was not your intended outcome, but you still help contribute to it, that's manslaughter. And there's different penalties. Here's what Solomon is saying here. 
Let's read it again. There's a time to kill and there's a time to heal. There's a time to break down and a time to build up. So what is the Exodus passage about? It's actually literally about a death penalty or penalties in general, right? That passage. The Ecclesiastes point is that there is a time to heal. There's a time to redeem. There's a time to rehabilitate people and that there is a time to kill, right? Now, he'll talk about war later, and we won't get a lot into war, not just war theory or things like that, but there is a season for war, however that applies. But in this sense, there is a time to kill. And that's what he says, listen, there's a time to build up, and there's a time to tear down. There's, there's a time where the greater good is this, that this is better for the society than allowing it to continue. Much of the Mosaic Covenant is written with a lens like that. And so there are some severe penalties for some sins, some that seem very foreign to us today, that some sins will get you put to death in Leviticus, for example, that are lifestyles that are championed today. And we have a hard time reconciling those two. And what it is, is God trying to preserve a community of faith without allowing things that will tear down this community of faith. It's kind of like in Acts, early in Acts, when Ananias and Sapphira are killed by God for lying, for being disingenuous. I mean, is a nice way of saying it. But if God killed everybody who lied in our church, it wouldn't be long to take this worship service and make it a memorial, right? So, Foreign to our culture requires context here, preserving the community. There's a time to build up, and there's a time to tear down. Like, there's a time to heal and rehabilitate and try to cultivate, and there's a time to just kill this thing. Think of cancer in your body. There's different ways to approach it, and that's what he's saying. Verse 4, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. There is time for mourning. Uh, by the way, if, if there is one part of our worship in the Western church and um, the American church that we're really, really not good at, and we've talked about this before, it's lament, right? And we don't, we come together, and if the songs are not happy enough on a Sunday, um, we get emails on Monday, let's just say that, right? Okay, and, but there are times for grieving together corporately, right? I, I think of right after 9-11, it was super hard to sing happy, clappy songs, Right? But there is a time for lament. Well, there's a time in our lives for mourning. There's a time for grieving. Now, can you, can you I mean, there's, I'm sorry, those are the same. There's a time for laughter and dancing. So there's a time for celebration, right? There's a good amount of time that can be spent on celebration. But can you celebrate too much for too long? Yes, right? You graduate high school, you might have a grad party, maybe your family's super cool and they take you on vacation, they celebrate that, but to come back and throw another grad party is just weird. At some point you're like, hey, we celebrated this, and yeah, this was a crazy year, and yeah, we had fun, but now it's the summer and I'm off to college in a short amount of time, maybe I work, maybe kind of build up some of the things that need to be done, whatever it might be, there's a, there's a, a celebration that's too much, and in the same way, we all know folks who have lost loved ones, lost people near and dear to them. And some people, in the, in the same set of circumstances maybe, they will grieve and then heal, and, and maybe that loss is never, I mean, that loss is never fully healed. You always long for that person. 
But we know other people that also kind of that becomes the controlling event in their life where they mourn and grieve for too long, right? And that event is just not healthy and they, they keep going, right? There's a time for laughter. There's a time for grief. There's a time for mourning and there's a time for dancing. Those are seasons in our life that we must go through wisely that often are controlling but there is a right way, and, and, I'm, and there's no, this is the amount of time, but there's clearly ways that are not healthy. Verse 5, there's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And this is a very cultural thing. In the Old Testament, we see a lot of gathering stones as we worked our way through. If you were in a community group during, I was about a year ago, we were teaching Exodus on Sundays and reading through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? And then kind of took a little break over Christmas, and we got back after it, and we did the rise and the fall of the kingdom, right? Run a little break for summer. We'll be starting back up probably next month. Uh, we'll figure that out. Actually, tomorrow night we meet, and we'll figure that out. Uh, but then we will go through the rest of the Old Testament together in community groups, giving us a broad, big, big picture view of Scripture it's moving quickly through it. It'll probably cover the whole Bible in just over two years. And if you're not in that, you are missing out in some of the context of the story, right? Big picture pieces that, that, that make sense in the, in the story, and you're like, oh, I get this. Things, and even, even things that are referenced like gathering stones. Well, as Abraham was coming along and God was doing great things in his life. Or even Jacob, they would pile stones. They would gather these stones up. They would set up a memorial to remember what God had done. There's a time for gathering stones and there's a time for casting away. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. So there's, these are relational truths, right? There's a time to remember things and there should be a time to forget right? We want to remember and celebrate the things that are great in our lives. That's why we have birthdays, right? And we celebrate the birth of our children, right? That we want to, rem we want to remember that. Yeah, it marks time, but you can mark time any way you want to. We celebrate it because we want to remember. But there's a time for forgetting. We don't need to forget every wrong thing that people have done to us. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, right? And there's a lot of application to that. But just imagine that loving of people embracing. And there's also a time to keep people at, at an arm's distance. It isn't necessarily bad. Sometimes parents need to allow their children to go through something so that they kind of understand things, that they, you know, toughen up is probably an overstatement, but like that they can endure and become stronger through the adversity rather than coddled and not strong. There's a time for embracing and there's a time to refrain from embracing. Verse 5. There's a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away. Have you ever moved from a larger house to a smaller house on purpose? You're like, what am I going to do with all this stuff, right? I was, I was on social media. A friend of mine posted on social media that he is looking for a tux for his wedding. He's getting married soon. And uh, it's nobody in this church. It's a friend of mine that I, I have outside this church. I have, actually have a couple friends. And he's looking for this tux. He doesn't want to spend a whole lot of money, but he doesn't want to rent one because he wants to keep it. 
And I'm in one of those seasons where we've got a lot of stuff, and I'm trying to figure out where to put things and get rid of things. And I wanted to tell him, like, dude, if I had a tux from my wedding right now, I would be trying to donate it to somebody, right? Like, I'm not sure you need to buy one, right? Now, ladies, I know you all have your wedding dresses probably. I get that. How many of you men have your tuxes? That's what I thought. So, all right, one. All right, so, uh, because sometimes you realize that brown thing you had with that weird shirt that had ruffles in the front just isn't cool anymore. I'm just throwing that out there, right? Again, Google it, right? So, uh, right, and there's a time to seek and a time to pursue, and there's a time to let things go. There, there are career moments where you're chasing and pursuing things, right? There are times to seek, like save, and there is also times for generosity. There's a time to gather in that sense, that financial sense, and a time to give, right? There's a time to kind of store up, and then there's a time to give away. Verse 7, there's a time to tear, and there's a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak. If If there was one in this that I think is the most profoundly needed to learn today, it's this one. So by way of emphasis, I'm going to read this again. There is a time to tear and a time to sow. There's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Now, these are paired together on purpose, right? Tearing away. I want you to imagine, this is often an example we use for marriage, that we take these two pieces of paper and you you'll kind of have glue all over them and you put them together, right? And they dry and they become one, like a marriage. Now try and separate those. And what you get is pieces of this all over this and pieces of this all over this, and it's never, it's never right, right? You will never get those two pieces back the way they were. It's a lot like divorce, right? There's a time for sewing together, putting together, and there's a time for tearing apart. He's not necessarily talking about marriage there, but it's a good image that we can understand. There's a time for silence and a time for speech, and this is where we need to learn today, right? That there is a time for bringing people together right? Now lose the image of marriage for a minute. There's a time for sewing up a community of people, and there's a time for separating that. There's a time for silence and a time for speech is a tool that helps us cause those changes, right? In our world today, I'm not sure we know a lot about the silent side, but there's a lot of speech. Let me put this on the screen for you. Timing and tools. So speech and silence are powerful tools for change, but timing is important. Right words at wrong times can cause damage, and sometimes silence can heal. So anyone who's ever been married, right, knows you may have the right thing to say, but there's clearly some wrong times to say it, right? You can admit to that. We've all done it, right? Our culture has those moments. When is the time to speak up? And when is the time to refrain and be silent? So there's a lot of political speech right now, and they couch it in ideological speech. It's often couched in things like justice or law or tradition or morals or ethics or this or that or or whatever. And everything has become hyperbolic. It's become extreme. There's no center, center ground anymore. There's no one who just maybe makes a mistake. They become evil, wicked, whatever they become, right? And there is a time for speech. Speech is a powerful tool. There's also a time for silence. Silence also can be a powerful tool. And our world needs to, our, our nation needs to learn that at some point. That we think speech is always, I've always got to speak, I've always got to, st- I've always, there's a time to refrain from, there's a time for each thing. There's a time to sow and a time to mend. Verse 8, 
A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Again, we're not going to pull apart what it means to have a just war or the just war theory or anything else, biblical concept of war. Remember, this is written by Solomon. Solomon was the king over a theocracy, meaning governed by God. This Solomon was to be submitted to God. Now, that was true sometimes and not true sometimes. Saul also was to be that. David was to be that. And there are times it was true and false. But it was a theocracy where God led it. That was the deal. We live in a democracy where politicians lead it. This is different. So trying to parse out the values of what war is just and not just is hard to do. It's much easier to look back and retrospect and try and rethink Vietnam, right? And look at what we know today or weapons of mass destruction during Bush 43 and, and look backwards. It's hard when you're in the moment and it's always politicized, so it's different. So we're not going to pull all that apart, but there is this a time to love and a time to hate. And we've all probably been raised with the idea that hate is a, is a bad thing, that, that Jesus used this. If you've got hatred in your heart, you, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. The Bible uses hate in another way. I'll give you a few. I'm just going to rattle some off. Uh, in Exodus, people are called to hate bribes. In tons of Psalms, Isaiah, Amos, Zechariah, it talks about God hating evil and evildoers. God's hatred of idol worship comes up in the Psalms, the prophets, Jeremiah 44 is one of them. Hatred of falsehood and false ways, again, the Psalms, a, a, a place to find that. Pride of God's people, God's people being arrogant and prideful, God hates that, it says in Amos, right? So is there a time for love and a time for hate? There is. Amos 5.15 says, hate evil, love good. Establish justice in the gate that it may be that it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. In other words, to the remnant of Israel there, right? That we are to hate evil. Now, our struggle, almost like when Jesus gets mad in the New Testament, when he drives the people that are extorting God's people out of the temple at the end of a whip, I don't have a place where I can be that angry holding a whip and not sin. I don't own that, right? Like, I don't have that. I will be sinful. I can do the actions. My heart will not be in a good place. And yet we know Jesus was sinless. Jesus was able to be righteously angry, not uh, selfishly or sinfully angry. So we have that same thing. We struggle with, with, is there a righteous hatred that we can actually live into, right? Because we drift from hating evil into hating evil people, into hating people that disagree with us, and it spirals. But we're called to love good and to hate evil. And we're called to be very, very cautious in how we do that. There's a time for those things. Verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? Let's pause just for a second. So according to Solomon, is there a time for working? That was a question. Can we spend too much time working? So he asked the question, what gain has the worker from his toil? What's your gain? What is your, what are you getting out of this, right? You get to eat, okay, it's a good thing. Are you trying to climb the corporate ladder? Are you trying to become wealthy? Are trying, what are you trying to do? What is the gain you're pursuing? Again, there's lots of things to speak to those outcomes. He asked the question, what's your heart invested in as you do it? Let's go back to our starting point today. What season of life you are in will help dictate what kind of work life you should have, Right? You're on the front end of a career, or maybe you're going to college and you're working to help pay for it, and you're on the front end of that part of life. You should, and, and rightly should, 
work much harder. You also have an energy level that will help you keep up with that in a healthy way, right? But then you'll get married, and then you'll have kids, and then you'll have a house payment, and then you'll be raising kids and doing other things, and you'll get old and fat like me, and it'll be harder to sustain that, right? Seasons of life. There should be a time, if done right, you should be able to retire. That requires working hard up here. Our cultures flip that. A lot of people in their 20s today think this is the time for celebration, not hard work, right? We see that a lot. Some are out killing it, don't get me wrong. And some are doing it for wrong reasons, and some people are working well on into their old years, chasing whatever. There's a time for this. What gain are you looking to pursue? If you need to eat, you need to eat. But if you can eat, and you can do the other things, and you can save for that future, are you spending the time with your family? Are you invested in your faith? All those things are good questions from Solomon. Verse 10, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. So here's a summary of all these things. There's a time for love and a time for hate. There's a time for peace, a time for war. There's a time to sow and there's a time to tear apart. There's a time for speech. There's a time for silence. He gives us all these things. There is time under heaven Inside your faith, there's a time for all of this. And then that must mean there's also not time for some of these things. That there are times when these things should not be. So he says everything is beautiful in its time. Laughter in its time is beautiful. He also says mourning is beautiful in its appropriate time. Silence in its time is beautiful. Speaking in its time is beautiful. Just because something is wrong doesn't mean you have to speak up about it, right? Tell that to folks on social media. Because right now, every time is the time to speak about everything, including things people know nothing about. Maybe a time for silence when we start getting our heads around some of the things that are going on, right? Put this on screen. The opposite also holds true. Spending too much time doing even the things that are good for us is not beautiful. We were made to live in wisdom, sorry about the typo, in all seasons and times of life. We were made to live wisely. You can put too much time into your kids to the exclusion of other things, maybe your faith or maybe your job, right? 20 years ago, the American, most prominent American idol was family, and it was unhealthy in some ways. In some ways, it was a pendulum swing from the absentee parents of my generation, of the Gen Xers, that were kind of latchkey kids and raised without a lot of parents. And so culture swings all over the place, and what wisdom, is, what wisdom would teach us, or what Solomon would say, or what our faith would teach us, is that you lop off these crazy ends and you try and find the center that's wise. You try and find the time to grieve when you need to grieve. You can't just suck it up and pretend that the absence of that loved one isn't affecting you. You can't stay in that hole too long either, or you may never come out. You should celebrate the wins in life. Again, I'm just using high school graduation. It could be anything, marriage, birth, all those things. But we don't over-celebrate it. Like, celebrate, get the win, move to the next season, right? There's a time to then keep going. What season are we in by the environment or the, or the, or the things that that dictate that and by the ages. What season are we in? 
Verse 11, the second half says, Also he has put eternity in a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So listen, God has put eternity into your heart. One of the things that's almost always been true, at least throughout my lifetime, and from what I've understood and read about long before me, people have always wondered what comes next, right? That there's this sense of what happens when I die. Now, sometimes we think about what happens when my dog dies, but not as often as we think about what happens when I die, when you die, right? Humanity has this innate sense that there is more. It's from the gospel. It's rooted in God's creation of us. And then the question exists because we sinned in the middle, because we then enter into, and we all know we've messed things up. So we don't really have to kind of bang that gong much. We all know we do wrong things. And the gospel is God's response to it, that, that, that God became human flesh, that Jesus, the Son of God, came in and entered into humanity, and he lived a sinless life. Now, for our context today, take sinless out and also add wisdom, right? He lived the seasons of his life that he was supposed to live. As a child, he lived and was raised in Jewish tradition to learn scripture, right? He was obedient to his parents. He then moved on to the next season. We know that he didn't enter into vocational ministry until he was roughly 30. So up until that time, he had to work and do other things. He did what he was supposed to do. So sinless doesn't mean just like don't murder and don't steal. It like he lived a life of wisdom. And then as he was teaching, his wisdom pours out. Wisdom is a response to our faith. Wisdom is how God has made us. It's learning that. Wisdom is derived from God. Solomon Walser writes that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's a common theme in Proverbs. So Jesus comes and lives and dies and resurrects from the grave, offering us new life. And that new life is not just transformation, although it is. We talk a lot about the transformation part, but it's reconciliation with us to God. And, and part of the transformation becomes that we can live wisely. We can learn how God created us to live. That would have been really cool if I had done that in my teens. I wouldn't have had to throw away my 20s, but I didn't. I came to faith late in my 20s. So you can live the rest of it wisely. Again, you can't get back the years you throw away. But in our faith, in our being reconciled to God, we can live wisely. We can learn the lessons that are practical theology, everyday life application of scripture and faith, and live the way God designed us to live. It's not a mistake that we have more energy when we're young and should work harder, and that we're more tired when we're older and should be able to enjoy that and pass wisdom along to our loved ones, right? Verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. It's just humanity. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. There's a lot of eating, drinking, and enjoying God, right? That meals, in fact, so many conversations of Jesus are centered around a meal, right? Communion, we're going to take that that memorial covenant means of grace meal, right? That was began with bread and wine. That there's a lot that centers around that having a good meal, enjoying a glass of wine under God, with your family. There's a lot of those things in scripture. And sometimes it's that simplicity that God says, or even Solomon here, or God through Solomon, that sometimes that's it. That's enough right? You've worked a hard day. You've done your thing. You're in the right season of life. Sit down with your family and enjoy that, right? Go to church. Celebrate with your, your faith family. Enjoy that. 
Verse 14, but I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. God is sovereign. God is going to make his plan come to be. That's kind of a summary there. What has happened, happened. What's going to be is going to be. You can't control everything. Can't fix the outcome of the next election, no matter how hard you try, no matter how loud you scream on social media, you just can't. That's okay. God's still sovereign. That's the point. Solomon's message here, and we'll put this up, wisdom in light of the gospel asks us to figure out what is God doing around us and how can we be a part of it knowing whatever God does endures forever. As he says, verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever, right? What is God doing? How can we be a part of that? Verse 16, moreover, I saw under the sun. Now, what happened here? Solomon says, moreover, I saw under the sun. Now, he switches from under heaven to under the sun. Now, I've seen people apart from faith, living outside their faith. Here's what he says, verse 16, moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Now, should we want justice and righteousness? We should. We talked about this last week. We will never achieve it. No matter how, how hard we try, we'll never get it. Just like Jesus said, the poor will always be among you. We'll never solve some problems that are endemic to humanity, to sinful humanity. Life under the sun. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be just. Means, doesn't mean we shouldn't be righteous. But we will never see global justice, global right, national, communal even, justice or righteousness. Verse 17, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and a time for work. Psalm reminds us there's also a time for judgment. And we are judged on this life, right? That we will stand before God. And, and yes, judgment truly exists in one thing. You're either in Christ or you're not. But for those who are in Christ, then there's a follow-up question like, well, what did you do with that? How did you live that life I gave you? Right, you were going this way, Jeff, and then I rescued you and turned you around. What would you do with it? Living the life that we are given wisely in faith is our answer to that, hopefully. I want to close with some things really quickly because it's really hard to say all these things and then, so what do we do with this, right? So how long am I supposed to grieve? I just lost somebody near and dear to me. Well, there's no concrete answers for some things, right? So I want to give you some values, again, not rules. I don't give you, okay, there's two weeks, that's all you get, right? And you get one grad party, one vacation, that's all you get. We don't do that. There's a set of values, though, that Scripture gives us. And so I'll give you three things really quick. Seasons of life. A season is a length of time where we are to learn and grow in a particular way. Use wisely, we grow healthy. Unwisely, time is wasted and damage is done. What season of life are you in? What age are your children? What age are you? What space in your vocation, your career are you? What phase of life is your church in? Well, where's your family? What are you doing? Right? All those things should contribute to the season of life that you're in. Next slide. How do you know what season you're in? Well, age and circumstances often dictate seasons of life, like a decade, 20 to 30, or how influential circumstances affect you, marriage, children, etc. I was going to put marriage, children, grief, and I just thought those three things partnered together look funny. Throwing that out to you. <laughs> you should live differently in your 20s than you should in your 30s, right? 
and your 40s and your 50s. Like we all get that in the macro sense. But what season of life are you in? What age am I at? What circumstances also control that? Am I, am I today grieving through the loss of a loved one or am I celebrating the life, the birth of someone? Final one, how long is each season? Some things have no specified amount of time. They're not as simple as you turn 30 and it changes, right? Wisdom calls us to learn from others. Just like too much vacation or celebration, too much work or grief is harmful. It calls us to learn from others. Learn from others, especially older than us. I made a joke last week that this service is much older and much whiter than the 11 o'clock service, which is not a joke. I was joking about it, but it's incredibly true there's a handful of not white people right now here, and then there will be a handful of white people in the next service. And, and I, we can point that out, kind of be irrelevant, but this service is older and a little different, but here's what's wrong with that. Is there's things we can learn from other cultures and other age demographics. And if we don't have them overlap, how do we do that? And if our community groups tend to be, well, this group is young people with kids, and this group over here is like empty nesters, and then this group over here is all seniors. They meet in the daytime or whatever. Like, how do we get this to overlap? That would be my challenge for you who are in this service, typically older, I believe wiser. How will you engage with the folks that are younger and raising kids at our second service? And they're there because we have children's ministry at second service, right? So there's a reason but also how can we learn from one another? Our cultures all bring some amazing things together. Ignore all the politics and ideologies today, we can learn from one another. The seasons of life that we're in, if yours is a season of contributing wisdom to others, probably the onus is on you to make the first step, to reach out and to love some people who need it because maybe they don't even know that they need it. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We are grateful to be in you, to be in Christ, to be rescued and redeemed by the gospel. And we're grateful that you have given us wisdom. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to learn that today. Help us to live our lives intentionally. Help us to see the seasons of life that we are in. And help us to embrace them appropriately. Whether it is an age demographic, whether it is a controlling circumstance around us, let us press into that, celebrate that, enjoy that. The seasons of hard work are formative, and the seasons of enjoying those hard, that hard work also formative. Let us use it all to grow in our faith, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.